holds everything together this morning. Amen.
us in the palm of his hand this morning. Lord, that you hold all things together. There is nothing too great for you, nothing too small for you. We serve an amazing and mighty God. And this morning, Lord, we just extend our hands, we lift our voices, we lift our hearts, we lift our praise to you, O oh God, for you deserve it all. You deserve it all. You are the king above all glory. We worship you, almighty God, for there is none like you, Jesus. Can we lift our voice in the sanctuary this morning? Can we honor the king that is above all kings? We praise your name. We praise your name. You are holy, God. You are holy, God. You are all we need, Lord.
of your people this morning. Open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand. But Lord, more importantly, may we open our hearts to receive your word. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Turn to one next to you and say, my God reigns. Amen. morning. I don't know about you, but I'm planning to run the race all the way to the end. Now, in the natural, that's not the case for me. I, I thought about buying one of those t-shirts that said, if I'm running, somebody better be chasing me. <laughs> and a friend of mine, his daughter and nephew ran in a mega marathon, and the daughter made it 30 miles, and the son made it 50 miles. There better be someone chasing me wanting to kill me for that to happen. But this is a race that I want to win. Amen? I want to win. We're so thrilled this morning to have some good friends, longtime ministry colleagues, our, our network superintendent and his wife, Guy and Vicki Fisher. Guy and Vicki, would you stand? Would you give them a great big Brian welcome this morning? So glad to have them here. Honored they would take time to fellowship with us this morning. Next Sunday is Easter, and I want to make a couple of comments. Actually, next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, the way I prefer to refer to it. Our four sections in the middle will be uh, volunteer distancing. The outside will remain as they are now with distancing and distancing in the balcony. 
and a video venue in BSC upstairs. And so if you're watching online and you're not comfortable uh, being in groups yet, join us online, invite some friends, do a home party and bring everyone together. And let's just believe for a great day next Sunday. The train's going to be out. We're going to give kids rides. Photo booths will be available. And we'll just celebrate the resurrection of our Lord next Sunday. Expect and believe for a great day. Well, this Sunday is what? Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. When the crowds gathered with palm branches, strewing their clothes in the streets, yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now you have to understand that as that wasn't an appeal, that was an imperative in the Greek tense, which meant it was a command. They're saying, it's time, rise to your throne. And you know the story that in just a few days, that crowd will cry out, crucify him. I don't know where you are, I, at least I hope I know where you are. I want to be part of the crowd that yells, Hosanna, Amen. not part of the crowd that calls out, crucify. And I think one of the challenges that we have is given to us in Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to open your Bible there, turn your, open your digital device. Hebrews chapter 12 about running this race. How do we stay on the right path? How do we stay on the right track? Craig Noe is going to come and quote one of our TBQers, quote from Hebrews chapter 12. Come ahead, Craig. If you want to open your Bible and follow along. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Great job. Thank you, Craig. Give Craig a hand this morning. Thank you. Palm Sunday on the way to Resurrection Sunday is what Hebrews has been writing about in our entire journey. We have a better Savior, amen, that has provided for us a better covenant that then has provided for us a better faith. So when we come to Hebrews chapter 12, we're talking about this Savior and faith and covenant that we've been talking about to run that to the end, to the finish line. Paul, or the author, I'm sorry, I've told you I don't think it's Paul, but that's so easy to slip out. The writer of Hebrews uses the analogy of running a race. And that picture that he opens with, I want to layer over the entire chapter and use that picture to understand what does it take for us to successfully endure and get to the end. To stay with the blessed is he crowd and not fall in with the crucify him crowd. How many are with me this morning? How do we do that? How should faith impact the race that we run? Well, look at the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12. The first concept I want you to grab hold of, the King James uses the word patience. The NIV uses the word perseverance. I'm going to go with patience because I think it captures it a little bit better. We're to run with patience. And Hebrews chapter 11 closes with a catalog of great men and women of faith. It's been referred to by many as the hall of fame of faith. 
Then we come to chapter 12, and it creates this controversy in the thinking of some. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who is this great cloud of witnesses? Does that mean that people in heaven are watching us? What I've learned over the years is it's better to be silent where Scripture is silent than to be dogmatic where it doesn't speak. I am of the opinion, and you can have whatever opinion you want to have, that they can't see us right now or are cheering us on by faith and celebrating in heaven because what joy would it be to see the perils that are happening on the earth? But whatever you believe about that, that's not what Hebrews chapter 12 is talking about. It's not talking about those in heaven watching us. It's talking about those that have been cataloged in Hebrews chapter 11 that have left a witness of their faith for us, seeing we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Who are those? Those who have gone on before. When we're running our race, running it with patience or perseverance, we need to remember those who have run ahead of us. We're responsible to those who ran before us as much as we are to those who run behind us. I want you to think about that for a minute. I believe, and you know I believe in next generation ministry, that if we don't reach the next generation for the cause of Christ, we have lost the battle. It can't be about us. It has to be about bringing that generation along. But I think sometimes we forget we have a responsibility as well to the generation that ran ahead of us. Come on, we have a responsibility to the generation that ran ahead of us. Everything we endure today or enjoy today has been paved for by the generation that ran ahead of us. And I'll just say that one of the frustrations that I have is when people evaluate what happened in a previous generation by the context of the present generation. You can't measure it that way. You have to look at that generation, what they paid, the price they paid, the road they walked, and understand that without them, we wouldn't be here today. Read the stories of when the Assemblies of God was traditionally on the wrong side of the tracks and the tomatoes that they threw and the mockery that went with that. And we celebrate this morning without any fear of that because somebody went ahead of us and paid the way and we owe them something for that. We owe them being faithful. In 1987, a song written by John Moore and performed by Steve Green became a sensation that was cited and preached about and sung. And I'm sure that many of you will remember the song, Find Us Faithful. And it went like this, Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. How many want to be part of that company? That those who come behind us would find us faithful. But there's a part of that song that gets overlooked because we have so emphasized, and I, I real, really feel like God burned this into my heart this week. We so emphasize the ones that have follow, are following us that we forget the respect that we owe to those who preceded us. This verse says, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race not only for the prize, but as those who have gone before us, let us leave to those behind us 
the heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly lives. I have a number of men and women in my life that I respect. Pastor has gone on to his reward that Carol and I grew up under. Pastor Raymond Booth paved the way. Now, here's what I would tell you about Pastor Booth. Pastor Booth uh, was not um, ever going to be a CEO of a major corporation. He was a he was a Missouri preacher, and he was proud of that. Kind of a country preacher with country wisdom that would startle you from time to time. And Pastor Guy, you may not remember this, but I remember, as I've shared before, in a presbytery meeting, talking about a minister who was doing something way out of line, and we're trying to analyze it, and Pastor Booth just said to the whole group, look, we all know he's nuttier than a squirrel. <laughs> kind of summed it up for us. He paved a way. He gave an opportunity for a hometown kid to have a chance in ministry when others may not have looked that direction at all. And I, I want to give you a picture of what that looked like so you know who I was when he gave me an opportunity for ministry. When I was in sixth grade, we had to leave that same church because my mother had had an affair with one of the elders. We bounced around for a year, and then this new pastor comes, and we went back to that church, and I grew up under his ministry, and knowing my family background and all the chaos that my parents ended up in a divorce home and all the ungodliness that happened, he said, this is a young man I'm going to invest in and take a chance on. I'm going to tell you, I owe it to him to do it right today. Are you hearing me? I owe it to him to stay faithful. And there are times that I have to ask myself, I don't want to make changes to be cool. I want to make changes to be effective. And I want to make sure that I don't ever defile the path that was set out ahead of me for the cause of the kingdom, that I not lose my way. We have a great cloud of witnesses. Is anybody hearing me this morning that have gone ahead of us and we need to live our lives today respecting the roads that they walked? So great a cloud of witnesses. Mitch Album, who is widely recognized for his inspirational stories and themes, said it this way. We move through places every day that would never have been if not for those who came before us. Our workplaces where we spend so much time, we often think they began with our arrival. That's not true. Now, you can sit at your desk and laugh at a Macintosh computer with a five-inch floppy disk and a monochrome screen with a dot matrix printer. Make fun if you want. But without that, you wouldn't have your iPhone. Is anyone hearing me right now? The writer of Hebrews is saying, on this journey, if you're going to make it, not only do you need to be concerned about the ones that are behind, you need to remember the price of those that ran ahead and the road that they paved and the blood that they shed. And you're on that road made sacred by their sacrifice. And seeing we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance the race set before us. 
remember them. And then commit yourself to run. The second half of verse 1 says it this way. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles with patience and perseverance. What does that word mean? It's the characteristic of a man or a woman who has not swerved from their purpose and their loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Knowing what it cost, they produced. Knowing what it cost, they kept on. And if you're going to stay with the Hosanna crowd and not fall in with the crucified crowd, you're going to have to be willing to pay whatever it takes to stay on that road. <laughs> Some years ago, uh, Carol and I took a trip, uh, anniversary and driving, um, and we drove to Prince Edward Island. Has anybody ever been to Prince Edward Island? Has anybody ever heard of Anne of Green Gables? <laughs> After we were on Prince Edward Island, I felt like I was related to Anne of Green Gables. I mean, everything was about Anne. And it's got this bridge to get to the island that's like, I don't know, eight miles long or 100 miles. I don't know how long that thing is. You know what's fascinating? They don't charge you a dime to drive on that bridge to get to the island. They charge you 25 bucks to get off the island. <laughs> and if you want off the island, you're going to pay the price. If you're going to stay in this race, there is a price to be paid. And you've heard me say this before, so it won't shock you. But snowflake cupcake Christians aren't going to make it on this race. People that are easily offended by everything that happens get their little feelings rough, hurt and ruffled and mad at everything every day. You're not going to make it. You may as well just resign now because you haven't got what it takes to get through. You've got to be willing to lay aside. Sometimes that's your feelings. Sometimes it's the things that you think you uh, deserve. And it's certainly the sin that does so easily beset. Do you want a picture of what we're going to run into? Look how the media has handled Oral Roberts University. And instead of celebrating a lower seed that blew up the brackets and had an unbelievable run and lost yesterday by, by two points, almost hit a three-pointer to win the game, they mock and criticize them as being homophobic and they shouldn't even be in the tournament. I'm telling you, that's where we're headed. That's what our culture is driving toward. And I'm just trying to warn you today, if you're going to stay in the race, you're going to have to lay aside everything. Are you hearing me? Everything thing that would weigh you down and cause you to stumble in the race. How much are you willing to give? Are you willing to pay what it costs? How are you going to do that? By thinking about Jesus. <laughs> Consider him. Consider him. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. How did he run? He endured the cross, despising the shame because of the joy that was set before him. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly what that is, but I'm pretty well convinced after reading this far in Hebrews that the joy set before him wasn't glorification and back to the right hand of the Father. Because if that were the joy set before him, he wouldn't have had to give it up. He was after something else. <laughs> Do you know what the joy set before him was? Raise your hand. It's you. 
It's the person beside you. It's people that were bound by sin on their way to hell, being provided a way of new life and redemption that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave it all to reach us. And he knew that when he hung on that cross, he would not only wear our sin, he would become our sin. And then he would give to us righteousness and we'd have a new way of living. It was that joy of a great company that we've studied in Revelation on Wednesday night out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue, all gathered around the throne singing, worthy is the lamb. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. It was that picture that was the joy set before him. What's the joy set before you? What motivates you to continue to run? You see, you have to have an eternal perspective. You have to see it differently than just getting what I want in this life. In fact, if lost people don't move you, if reaching people for the kingdom doesn't stir you, you're not likely, you're not likely to make it in this journey. Reaching the loss is what matters. It's the driver. It's that great company. When we will stand before the Lamb of God and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. When there'll be others in heaven that'll greet you at the gate and thank you for the sacrifices you made. And when this great company celebrates together, I want to be part of that. I want to be numbered with that number. It's not enough to just make it to heaven. We need to bring some people with us along the way. Consider him. Fix your eyes on him. Run with patience. Now, I didn't, and I, I don't expect this to get real exciting today. <laughs> because talking to people about how to make it doesn't. If we talk about the win, that's great, but the battle is what matters. Second, you need to run with discipline. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Running 30 miles, <laughs> running 50 miles. I have a friend that for years would run for 24 hours to raise money for Chi Alpha. Are you serious? I could run 24 hours with a five-minute run and an hour break. <laughs> a period of time. Have any of you ever run a, an actual marathon? I know Kevin, Pastor Kevin has. Anybody else got one, two? Anybody else? I'm I really am curious. Three, that should tell you something. <laughs> Normal people don't do that. You, you have to have a pretty high level, I don't mean bad, I mean you have to have a pretty high level of commitment. I think it'd be cool to run a marathon. I have absolutely no desire to get ready for it. The, the Ragbri, have any of you done Ragbri riding across Iowa? Yeah, if I'm going to ride a, a bike across Iowa, it's going to have a motor on it. I'll go across. Not, no, I don't have that mindset. And I honestly, I haven't figured out. And I don't mean this negatively at all. I, I honor those of you that have done it. But I, I don't know how your brain even gets there that you want to. The problem is, if you want it, it takes a great deal of discipline. So I have, I have three. Um, how long 
do you train ahead of a marathon? Ryan, how long do you train? couple months, but it's because you stay ready. Four months? Four to six months? But do you hear that? Do you know if I wanted to train for a marathon? It would take several years. <laughs> and the discipline that goes with that, you can't do it if you don't discipline yourself. And this running in this race requires a different kind of discipline. Don't despise discipline, verses 4 to 6. What's being described here is not about martyrdom. Listen to what it says. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. This isn't about martyrdom. It's not about dying for your faith. It's talking about if you're going to lay aside the weights and the sin that's so easily beset, you've got to war against that. And when they're saying, well, it's just too hard. It's just too hard. It's just too hard. I don't want to give that up. I, I don't have to stop doing those things. I, I, I want to enjoy the dark side. Really? You'll never win if you're willing to shed blood to get past it. How much are you willing to give to move past what drags you down. Train until you bleed is what he's saying. You've not done that yet. You've not worked hard enough yet. You've not struggled enough yet. And it does come from a place of love because undisciplined children are unloved children. In fact, let me say this. Undisciplined children are not only unloved by their parents, they're unloved by everybody. You can admit it. They're, the kids aren't in here. <laughs> Parents who love their children will discipline them. And forgive me for this, but discipline has to be more than just having a little chat. The consequences have to be strong enough that they no longer want to repeat the infraction. My dad understood that well. I still shiver when I take off my own belt. <laughs> How many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> if you love them, you'll discipline them because you know what that will produce, what will happen in them. The purpose of discipline, he's saying, remember the purpose. Take the word of encouragement. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. So it's saying there are times that he will put you in a place that is hard. And there are times that he will rebuke you because he loves you. And if you don't ever experience the rebuke of the Lord, it's because you don't belong to him. He's shaping you for something else. He's shaping you for a journey that you must engage in. In verses 7 to 10, the theme of discipline continues. Parents who discipline are later respected. Now, I, I was afraid to do this. But how many of you um, that are now adults experienced corporal, not capital, or you wouldn't be here, 
but corporal punishment. You got a spanking of some sort. Let me see your hands. More than once. Well, I'm kind of counting on that. that. And how many of you know you should have got more than you got? Right? And much more. And how many of you would say, and be honest, if, unless you were abused or beaten or it was mean-spirited, I get that. But you look back today and are thankful for the spankings. I respect today raising my kids and now loving my grandkids. I'm telling you, I respect more today than ever what it cost them to discipline me. I respect that because how many of you know it's just easier to give in? It's just easier to say yes. It's just, yeah, sure, have. And then the end result, you know what that produces. He's saying, when God disciplines you, don't get angry. Respect him. <laughs> Ready for this? Not everything hard that happens in your life came from the devil. Not everything hard that happens in your life is to be avoided or resisted. There's some things that are intended to grow you and make you strong so that you can win this race. This whole idea that it's just fun and glory and victory and prosperity and joy all the time. They need to read Hebrews 12 because there's hardship that comes from the hand of God to strengthen us. So respect the fruit of discipline. Look at verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Do you want to live right? <laughs> then it's gonna, you're going to have to pay for it. Do you want to live with peace? I don't have any peace. Then you need more discipline. A discipline of your mind, a discipline of your behaviors, a discipline of your activities will put you in a place of peace. And so this whole thrust of uh, winning this race and running this race, you have to run it with patience and perseverance. We're going all the way to the finish line, and then you have to run with discipline. It doesn't just happen. Third, we run it with one another. We run this together. This isn't a solo event. Verse 12 says it this way, Therefore strengthen the feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. <laughs> Therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. You're doing that for the benefit and strengthen of others. You're strengthened to benefit others, to help them to encourage them, and then understand as you run this road, you're to try to flatten out the road to make it simpler and easier for others to run behind you. My uh, grandson has just taken up uh, dirt biking. And I had no idea that the term rooster tail or roostering 
had anything to do with biking. Does anybody know what that is? Yeah, you get in front of somebody and a rooster tail of mud to slow them down. And I said to him, um, what happened after that? They got in front of him and then they fishtailed rooster tailed and buried him in mud. Um, that's not what's being talked about here. It's the opposite. So think of it this way. We talk about our liberty. One of the things you need to consider in this race is to not run in such a way that you make the road behind you harder for others. Well, I can get by. I'll be all right. You might be, but someone who's running behind you might not be. And yes, it is appropriate to think about the impact that would be made on someone else and choosing to run in a way that doesn't cause them to stumble along the way because we're doing this together. This isn't a competition, one against the other. We're running together. Some of you may have read the story some years ago about the Special Olympics event where it said that all of the ones stumbled and all of the runners went back and helped the one up and they crossed um, holding hand in hand. The problem is the story's not true. Let me tell you what did happen. This was published by Special Olympics in the Washington office and it goes back to 1976 with a track and field event that was held in Spokane. It is true in the Special Olympics um, race that one of the runners did tumble and two of the athletes turned back to help the fallen one. They didn't all turn back, but two did. And then they joined hands and arms together and the three of them crossed the finish line together. And I think that's more powerful because it's easy to go back and pick up the fallen when everybody's turning back. It's a tougher choice when turning back is going to cost you the medal. Hello? And if my goal is to be the bright shining star, I'll fail in the race because the writer of Hebrews is telling us that we're running this together and we need to help every one of us get across the finish line. The one another verses of scripture are powerful and it's giving us that same emphasis right here. So what does that mean? Oh, this gets so good. Are you ready? This is where it gets really fun. In fact, I, I want to be grandpa for a minute. Is that okay? And, okay, children. <laughs> um, I just need to sit down when I read this. <sighs> Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. <laughs> Do you have any idea how much counseling would go away if we just practiced that? Do you know how many marriages would be reconciled if we would just practice that? Make every effort to live in peace. 
make every effort. I, I'm telling you, I'm, I struggle with that. I don't always do that. Just yesterday, I was giving uh, my son-in-law a ride home crossing a busy street, and we're parked. Uh, I mean, I'm on one side, and there's a car on the other, and we have stop signs and no stop sign here, and the traffic's going like this. Two cars and two cars. How many know you're supposed to take turns? So, car in front of me turns left. The car over here turns left. It is my turn. Only the car behind the car across from me decided to jump the line, and both of them go. And I was not thinking about how to live at peace. <laughs> I'm still working on it. I'm running with you. We're doing this together. But if you're going to endure and run together, we can't do it if we're fighting. We can't do it if we're not, if we're not trying to get along. Make every effort. Think about your life. Are you making every effort to live at peace? <laughs> Are you? Every effort to live at peace. And it doesn't stop there. You see, the race is bigger than individual pettiness. It's about all of us making it. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And let me tell you this about holiness. Holiness in some circles has gotten a negative term or negative uh, reputation because we, we say that holiness is all about externals. Here's what I believe. If you're holy on the inside, it'll show on the outside. There are certain things you won't do, places you won't go, ways you won't dress if you want to be God-honoring. Come on, help me. Don't worry. I'm not going any further. Don't worry. I'm not going to start measuring skirt lengths or anything like that. I'm just saying to you, there is a part of that. But what is holiness? Holiness is the nature of God and living like God. God is holy. And when he says without holiness, no man shall see the Lord, it means that I'm not going to think like the world, act like the world. I'm not going to give myself to the ways of the world. And it doesn't just mean you won't go to heaven. It means you won't even see him in this life. Life. If you want to see the presence and power of God, it requires that you live a holy lifestyle. And they can mock if they want to. I'm not homophobic. I don't hate people. But I believe there's a way that's right. And we need to live in a way that's right and God honoring. And we aren't what's wrong with this world. We are what's right with this world. And to not be afraid of that. I want to reflect biblical principles because I want other people to make it to heaven. And so I I'm going to live my life in a way that I want to be at peace and I also want to live holy. I want to live like God. I want to be like him. And it goes on to warn us about three things because if you don't do this, you'll fall short of the grace of God. And I don't want to get into a theological debate, but please don't kid yourself and accept the teaching that once you pray the prayer, you can live however you want and it's all going to be okay. That, that, is a, that is a dangerous, dangerous place because here it tells me clearly you can fall short. You're in the race. You're running the race. You've experienced the sacrifice. You're running the race, but you can fall short of the glory of God. He warns us about three things. Bitterness. <laughs> Get over it. It isn't worth it. It isn't worth it. 
If I say a name and you immediately get mad, if I say a name and it immediately creates a reaction, you need to get over that. How many of you have ever been hurt by someone? Someone you trusted, someone in leadership, someone that, that you had respect for. It's going to happen. People are human. They're going to do the wrong thing. Don't let that corrupt your soul. Get rid of bitterness. Get that out of your heart because it not only will destroy you, it'll destroy everybody around you. Bitter people make life frustrating for everyone around them. And then get rid of immorality. Don't live an immoral lifestyle. There's still some things that are right and still some things that are wrong. And I, don't, I, I just think we ought to say it more. But I, I'm so narrow-minded that I still believe a couple should be virgins when they get married. Well, that got a resounding amen. <laughs> I don't think it happens very often in our culture. Because we're reflecting the ways of Sodom and Gomorrah. And everywhere you're, you're, you turn, you know that the sexual appetites are stimulated and played upon. And we're told it's okay all around us. But it's not okay. There's only one place for sexual expression that is okay. It's one man, one woman committed for life. That's where it was intended to be. Everything else is immoral. Come on, everything else is immoral. Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of immorality. And then the third thing is godlessness. <laughs> I, I, I don't have time to go down this road. And, but it's pretty easy for God-centered worship to drift to godless entertainment. And we need to be careful that our lifestyles aren't just a club we join because godlessness can move itself into that. He's talking about running with others because it's possible. Now hear this. This is tough stuff in this chapter. And I didn't write this. I'm just reporting it. Look at verse 17. Afterward, you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. That's real. That's rubber meets the road. What does that mean? There isn't a sin that you can commit that's too big for God to forgive. But there are some sins you can commit that are too big to be repaired. The consequences stay with you. I've used the illustration, if I shoot someone in the head and kill them, God can forgive me, but that person is still dead. And the consequences of that still continue. And to our young adults and to our children, our teens, that's a message that needs to be sounded loudly. Yes, you can be forgiven. There's always a way home for the prodigal, but there's some things like Esau that if you do, may never be repaired and certainly will never be the same and will cost you what you could have had. I, I'm just going to say this. I probably shouldn't. I may not say it's second service. 
but I, I feel like someone needs to hear what I'm going to say. The moment of, of dangerous transparency. This may shock you to know that Carol and I have had a couple arguments over the years. <laughs> I know, it's hard to believe about me. I'm just a teddy bear. And, and there have been times that we've hit some pretty hard walls. So don't, don't come to my office and tell me I don't know what it's about. I know that if your marriage is going to survive, you're going to work at it, and it's going to cost you. And we've never seen a, a divorce attorney. I don't want you to think that. But there have been some intense moments. Just trying to be honest. And if you don't like honesty, then you need to go somewhere else. But I remember, now hear me carefully. I remember Carol and I standing in the hospital room when our first grandchild was born. And I thought, I'm so glad we get to do this together. Because there's a lot of families that, that made a mistake that will never be able to do this together. And I'm not insulted. If you're there, my heart goes out to you. And God has a grand glorious plan for you and will bless your life. But I'm saying there are some things you sacrifice by your choices that you can't get back. That doesn't mean it can't be good. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He will still bless you and God will still have a plan for your life. And it still can be wonderful. But Esau couldn't get it back. And I think sometimes we need to be honest with that. And say, some choices cost you some things that you can't ever get back. If you get drunk and go on the highway and kill somebody, you can't ever get that back. Hello? You abuse a child? You ought to be on that registry for the rest of your life and the next one. There's some things you can't get back. How many are hearing what I'm saying? I'm just, I'm not trying to, I'm just saying to you. It's, you can make some choices. But like Esau, you might not be able to get back what you want. That doesn't mean God leaves you alone. Please, grace is huge. And God has a great plan of blessing for your life. But it will be a different path. Are we okay still? Do I need to get my resume out? We're running with one another. And last, and I, I want to take a minute with this because if you're going to make it, and I'm, I'm really am concerned about this with second and third generation Christ followers. You need to run the race with reverence. It's easy to become careless about spiritual things. Now in verses 8 to 21, he describes the terror of Mount Sinai and the thunder and the lightning and the flashing and the fearfulness of, the, of this God that even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. And he creates that picture and wants you to see how terrifying God is. And then he says... But we haven't come to Mount Sinai. We've come to Mount Zion. And Mount Zion is a wonderful place. 
Look at verse 22, all the blessings. But you've come to Mount Zion in the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of, uh, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than that of the blood of Abel. It's a wonderful thing, and thank God that we come to Mount Zion, not to Mount Sinai. Then he says, but don't make the mistake under the day of blessing to forget the awesomeness of God because if you refuse him, there's a price to be paid. And it closes by saying in verse 20, um, 28, 20, 29, so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Reverently. I want to give you a warning this morning, particularly if you're a second generation or a third generation. Don't ever put yourself in a place that you're mocking spirituality. Now someone showed me, I don't want to offend anyone, but some, something they found on the internet where Siri speaks in tongues. Now that's, that's dangerous ground. Come on, that's dangerous ground. And I know, listen, I grew up in the, I grew up in some of the older days. I remember I remember one of the dear old saints when the spirit of God would come on her and she's wearing her high heels. I can't do what she would do, but she would get her, only it was both feet. I can't do both feet that fast. And she would spin around, tapping like that. And I was sure as a kid that she was going to drill a hole right through the floor and go right into the abyss. You say, you're mocking it. No, I'm saying as a child, it looks silly, but I need to be careful that I, don't, that I don't make a mockery of spiritual expressions of any sort. This isn't a place. This is one of, I've used this illustration over the years, and I, I, it just makes me uncomfortable. And you might be all right with this. But to me, Amazing Grace is the national anthem of the church. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace, my fears relieved. You sing that song over and over again, and it is so powerful. Then I heard a youth group. Do you know that, that those lyrics fit exactly to the melody of Gilligan's Island? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And I heard a youth group singing that. Do you know how long it took me to get that out of my head? And, I, and, I'm, and I'm not saying to you that God's going to judge them. I'm just saying to you that when holy things cease to be holy, you're going to end up in the other crowd. Because God needs to be served with reverence and awe. 
and that needs to be restored. Because the syndrome tends to be that Abraham had the word from God. Isaac lived on Abraham's revelation and Jacob rejected it altogether and had to wrestle with God through the night. For all of us, familiarity breeds contempt. Do you remember when I started? We have a responsibility to those that went ahead of us, which includes not mocking their expressions. Now, I don't know of anyone here that's doing that. I'm just saying to you, to our kids, to our teens, to us, if you're going to make it, you got to run with reverence. And there ought to be some things that Christians are careful about not doing. I'm not trying to be hard-nosed. I'm just saying, it's here in the chapter. Youth, it is better under grace, but it's the same God. The God at Mount Zion is the same God that was at Sinai. And if you think that he judged them harshly and we've been given grace, what do you think is going to happen if we reject it? It's going to be just as serious because when it says our God is a consuming fire in the context that's not our God is a consuming fire of anointing it's a consuming fire of, bless, of, of judgment and we need to live in holy fear so yeah I get concerned I get concerned I just want to make sure in running this race we have a we have a better savior we have a better covenant. We have a better faith. So let's run the race all the way to the end. All the way to the end. Because I want to stay with the crowd that says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Could we stand? I know I've gone a little bit long. Could we stand together? And I just want your prayer to be for a couple of moments to say, God, I want to run this race. How many of you want to run the race all the way to the end? It's not an easy thing. It's going to require a commitment and a purpose and a focus. Pastor Nathan.
for us to end a service on a note of celebration but I think there's benefit in a moment of sobriety and somberness Friday we will gather here for a good Friday service a time of worship and Jesus didn't die so that we could have a party he died so we could make it to heaven And Hebrews 12 reminds us that you have to determine that you're going to make it. And so my challenge this morning is, would you just look deep inside your own heart and say, God, have I really made that commitment? That I'm not going to be a casual observer. I'm going to be a committed follower. Whatever it costs, I'm going to follow you. Jesus, if you would Speak to us and search our hearts. Touch those areas of non-commitment, of frivolity in our relationship to you, areas that need to be firmed up. Would you talk to us and help us run this race with perseverance till the day that you come? And everyone that loves him said, Amen, amen, amen. God bless you.